All right, well, my name is Corey. For those of you that don't know me, I'm uh, one of the elders here at Cornerstone. I'm not the typical teaching pastor. Um, Tony Hall, who is our teaching pastor, he and his family are out uh, for the weekend um, out of town, and so, uh, so I'm going to fill in. Um, the, the last several weeks, Tony has been taking us through this series, and it's called We Believe. And what this has been really is just like a visitation of ancient creeds, and it's been a good opportunity for us to just to just reaffirm some of the core beliefs that we have, um, and, and even just to be reminded that this isn't something that was invented 100 years ago, right? Like these, these ancient uh, beliefs that ha- have been sustaining people, and people have been living by them for a very long time. And so, um, so it's been a blessing just to, just to be uh, just learning alongside of Tony, but I will say this, he has got a major investment in this, and he is spending a ton of time uh, just investigating this and learning and, and educating himself so that he can present this information accurately. And I will not do that justice today. So I'm deviating from the series, um, and we're going to actually uh, uh, look at a passage in John chapter 10 today. So if you could turn to your Bibles in chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you want to grab one from the back of the pews, you can do that. Um, and turn to page 896. And before we uh, get into this text, though, I need to give you some background because, you know, the Bible, in the Bible, it's very important uh, just to have context. And that's certainly true of this passage as well, right? And so, so we're going to look at chapter 9. Well, in chapter 10, this whole, this whole thing starts out with this man who is born blind, okay? He's a man, he's born blind, Jesus meets him. He's a beggar because he's lived his whole life blind and really has had no opportunity um, to, to, to support himself or anything. And so he's a beggar. And Jesus puts some mud on his eyes and he tells the man, go wash. And so he does so and the man can see. Now, I didn't see anybody's eyes like open up, okay? But just imagine if you're him. That dude is thrilled, okay? Like, he has lived his whole life not being able to see, and suddenly he has this epic moment where his whole life is radically changed. Now he can see what people actually look like. He can see what's going on in the areas that he's been begging for years. He can see everything. And it's just, you've got to imagine just how glorious of a moment this is for him. The problem is the next 26 verses after we hear of this in chapter 9, it's just riddled with debate and accusation and and just being interrogated. Um, Religious leaders as well as those in the community just not believing this really happened, not wanting to give credit, even as they're interrogating, asking how this happened. He would claim it was because of Jesus and they'd just be met with more criticism. And eventually, you know, and, and if you think about it, This guy should be like, like people should be looking at this and be thrilled. Like, what? This just happened? This man was born blind. They even brought his parents in, right? And they said, is this your son? Was he born blind? And they're like, yeah, he's our son. And he was born blind. And still no rejoicing. Nobody thrilled with this man, right? And he's irritated. Because, I mean, and wouldn't you be? Like, you were just healed of blindness, and all you've received from the people around you is criticism and interrogation. Wouldn't you be irritated? I mean, I would be, and so he does. And he gets a bit mouthy, right? 
with the leaders. And, uh, and the leaders have basically just said, well, you're out of here. And they give him the boot and they, they kick him out of the synagogue, effectually excommunicating him from the religious community. And so that's where we find ourselves as we move into chapter 10. So chapter 10, Jesus is going to start giving us a, he's going to basically give us a mini-series, or a mini-sermon, I should say, starting in verses 1 through 18. But there's a key thing that he says just before he says this, and he says it in verse 39. Now, keep in mind, the man's been kicked out of the synagogue. He's the buzz for sure, right? The guy went into the synagogue, no longer blind, now he's coming out excommunicated, and there's all these people that are like, this is crazy, right? And so we know that there's Pharisees, we know that there's people around, and Jesus says these words in verse 39. He says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. He says that the Pharisees were basically frustrated at that comment, startled. And the reason why is because they, they took offense because they interpreted correctly that what Jesus was saying is this man who was born blind is now seeing physically, but he's also seeing spiritually. And the people who claim to have it all together, they're actually not seeing. They are actually blind. And they knew that's what he was implying, and so they were a bit startled and frustrated by it. So this is what we move into as we get into chapter 10. It's Jesus' response to their frustration. So here it's our custom to stand. So please do stand. We like to stand and just acknowledge and take special notice that this is the word of God. This isn't our words. This is important. This is the most meaningful words that we could ever um, listen to here. So, So please just follow along as I read. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, and the sheep flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just 
We just thank you for the opportunity to be together today. We thank you that we have your word. And we thank you that we get to uh, just to glean uh, from these truths, Lord. And I do pray uh, that we would just drink in just the beauty of these verses, Lord. And I pray that they would affect our souls. I pray that they would affect our relationship with you, Lord. And pray that you would just not allow me to say anything that is untrue. We love you, Jesus. And we do pray that you would just nurture our affections for you through this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So this, this is a peculiar response, right? For Jesus to kind of dive into uh, talking about the, this whole subject of sheep and everything. Um, and and as, as I mentioned earlier, this story is a buzz. The, the, everything is going on with this blind man. I mean, everybody is definitely, like, intrigued about this. And so there's this number of folks, as I mentioned. But the one thing that I want us to pay attention to is, is and you see this later in the chapter in verses that follow what we just read, there is a division that takes place after Jesus talks about this. And that's because there are people in that area that are listening to Jesus with different ears. Okay? There are some people that are like, I love this guy. There's some that are like, I can't stand this guy. And then there's others who are just like, I have no idea how I feel about him. And I have no doubt that that could be true in here. There might be people in here that have differing and varying views of Christ as well. And before we get into the verse by verse, in verse 6, it tells us that, that this figure of speech that was mentioned in verses 1 through 5 um, it's, it was not understood by the people, right? And, and this figure of speech is also it's parabolic language, okay? Which means that Jesus is explaining a concept through imagery, all right? 7 through 18, he's going to kind of unpack that, like what he means by it. So for the first five verses, I'm really just going to try to do my best to just explain like, like just the imagery and, and not try to interpret it per se. So verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So the first thing is we need to identify what is a sheepfold. So in some translations, it actually uses the word sheep pen. You all know what a sheep pen is. It's a place for sheep to be stored, right? To keep them safe. Um, you, you have, obviously, somebody who owns these sheep, and they have a place for safekeeping, uh, likely at night, so that they can go in and be, be protected in times where they're vulnerable. You have sheep, and you have people in this imagery, in this verse. You have some who, somebody who comes into this sheepfold through this door, and then you have others who bust in because they're probably kicking down the fence or breaking the wall or hopping the fence or whatever, and they're coming in, and they shouldn't be there. And, and Jesus is calling them thieves and robbers, okay? So, um, more about who comes in through the door in, in verses 2 and 3. But these thieves and these robbers, effectually, these are people who are coming in because they don't care about these sheep. What they care about is they, they could be used by these thieves and robbers to, to do something for them, Right? So they can steal them, they can attract them, and, but, but the way that they're going to do that, because they're not, they, they're not, they know that sheep like shepherds, they're going to pretend, and they're going to act like they are shepherds. They're going to be deceptive in an attempt to lure them to themselves so that they can use them for their own purposes. In other words, they're counterfeits. 
just pretending to be something that they're not. Jesus goes on in verse 2 and 3, he says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So the one who enters the door, through the door, like he's the authorized one. He's the one who cares for the sheep, right? He's the shepherd, right? He has good in mind because he has been tasked to do good to these sheep. In fact, he has been authorized because you had a gatekeeper who said, this is who I am entrusting to care for my sheep, right? And so, but it's more than that. Like that sounds like, hey, I got a job yesterday, right? And now, now I'm a shepherd and this is what I, no, it's more than that because he says that he calls them by name, right? So that's personal. He knows their individual characteristics. They have names, Okay, they're not, hey, this guy's tagged with number four, or this is the one with the black mark on his right front leg. It's not that. No, they have names. It's personal. He cares for them. But then it also says that he leads them out. So leads them out of this sheep pen. Why? Well, because it's not good for sheep to just be in a safe zone all the time, right? A sheep pen is not an ideal nurturing environment for the sheep. So do they need to be in there at times? Yes, for their protection, because they're vulnerable, they're defenseless. But that's not where they need to be to be healthy. And so, so in, in verse 4, as it says, When he brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And so, so he's going to take them out, really, because he wants to make sure that they are nurtured and cared for. But the thing that's awesome about this, in verse 3, as I mentioned, he knows, the shepherd knows these sheep intricately. He knows them by name. But, but the sheep in verse 4, they know the shepherd also. They know his voice, right? They're familiar. This is my guy. This is my shepherd. They're not, they're not confused. They're not just, hey, you know, any, any other person who's, you know, wearing the right clothing or the right apparel, that's, that's, that's who I'm going to follow. No, they know who they are. They know who their shepherd is. And the thing that's really cool about verse 4 is it says, that, it says that when he brought out all his own, he goes before them, right? And so as he is intending to take them to pastures and take them to areas where they can be nurtured, then, then he goes ahead. He doesn't sit behind them and crack the whip, right, and force them to go. No, he goes ahead of them and, and he leads and they follow so he knows where he is taking them. He knows that on the way to the pastures, even though we have to hit, hit up some like rocky roads or some paths that are not desirable, he's like, I know I've got them. Like, I'm ahead of them, right? I get to that. I'm taking them to this pasture and they trust me. They trust that I'm taking them to a good place. So even when it gets rough, they're going to keep following me because they know me. They trust me. They know that I have good in mind for them. But these sheep don't trust anybody, right? Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So sheep that belong to a shepherd like this, one that has obviously proven his care and concern and love for them, they're not just going to listen to any old person, right? They know the extent of his love, and they know that this is his voice, this is the one I'm following. They're not interested in following a stranger. They don't want a counterfeit. They want the real shepherd. 
They're not, they're not interested in uh, following somebody who pretends and acts like he's, he's their guy because it's not. They don't want to counterfeit because they want to be taken to Psalm 23-like pastures, right? And they know that a counterfeit isn't going to, uh, they're not going to be able to say to them, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. No, it's, they're not going to say that to them. They're going to say you to the shepherd that they know they can trust. Not just anybody, but you, the shepherd that I can trust. Now in verse 6, this is where we see the, the confusion, right? Jesus just finishes up this little figure of speech, and everybody's confused, and they don't understand. And so the thing to, to keep in mind, though, it's not like this is complex. Everything I just said, there's nothing fancy about it, right? It's understandable. you got sheep, shepherd, and thieves, and robbers. So what's, what's, what they don't understand is, what does he mean? Like, why is he bringing this up right now, right? We're talking about, we, we just got a, a man whose blindness was just healed, right? And now the Pharisees were told they were blind, they're insulted, and all this stuff, and now Jesus jumps into this. What is he implying? And so Jesus is obviously going to explain that in the next few verses, but as we jump into those verses, um, I just want to just, just give us a little clue. These sheep that he's talking about as we go into the next few verses, he's talking about the sheep or, or, or the people of Israel that have embraced the true good shepherd, okay? And we'll, we'll, I'll explain more of that later. But just as we go into this, just keep that in mind. Verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. So he says, I am the door, right? Now, we know, as I read in the text earlier, he's also going to say, I'm the good shepherd, okay? But right now he says, I'm the door, okay? I'm the door. And what he's trying to say is, look, you want to get into this community of sheep that trust that shepherd? I'm the door. I'm the way in. And I'm reminded of of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody gets to be a part of that community that genuinely trusts the shepherd except through the door of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you enter that, if you enter, you, his words were, you will be saved and you will go in and out and you will find pasture. That means you will be one of mine. And you will be one who is cared for. But those of you that suggest that I'm not the door, he says, they are thieves and robbers. They try to coerce you into following them. They try to lead you away from me, right? And you saw this with the Pharisees. You see this really repeatedly throughout the Gospels. The Pharisees were frequently trying to get people to not buy into Jesus' teachings or trying to dissuade people from, from the claims that he was making about himself. He was, they were frequently trying to, to uh, get people to be afraid to uh, embrace Jesus. In fact, that's exactly why the blind man's kicked out in the first place, right? He's kicked out because he's acknowledging that Jesus is the one who healed him. 
And even his parents were afraid to even talk about it because they knew, hey, if like, we give any credit to Jesus, we could get the boot too, right? And this is, this is what the Pharisees are doing. They are keeping them from acknowledging, doing the, whatever they can to keep people from acknowledging that Jesus is the door. But remember, and just know this, anybody who is trying to lead you away from Jesus and lead you to not acknowledge who the true Christ is, that person does not have good in mind for you. It says that they are only there to kill and to destroy. These people are dangerous. They're not in it for your good. They're imposters. They're counterfeits. If they lead you away from me, they will hurt you. They will not serve you, is what Christ is effectually telling us. But he also says in here, my sheep don't listen to them. My sheep will not listen to them because I came to give my sheep life and I came to give it to them abundantly and they know it. My sheep know that I'm in it for their good, right? When I... uh, most of you know that my family and I, we served overseas in Indonesia for a while. And we were in a predominantly Muslim area. And, and we, like a handful of others, uh, live there for the purpose of just sharing the goodness of God with, with, with Muslims in the area. And there was this older woman who, she'd just been faithful for a long time and just been sharing the gospel with people for a long time. And, and she, we used to always, like, share our stories, right? Like, I had this encounter with this person, they said this, I said this, and, you know, he responded, she responded, blah, blah, blah. And we just do this all the time. And there was this one time, I just, I will never forget this. She said as she was trying to minister this guy, this guy tried to turn the table and say, I need to win this woman to Islam, right? And he says, he says, you need to become Muslim. Islam is so beautiful. And he's just, you know, trying to, to be convincing. And she just like, she's like in her head, She's like, what? She's like, there is no way I am leaving what I have in Jesus. Like, he is so good to me. Like, why would I ever leave that? And, and as I was reading this, I'm like, that's exactly what it should be like, right? Like, we should be so convinced that Jesus is so good. He's a good shepherd. And she just went on and on and on and list how he has been good to her, right? And she was just... She was just, you know, so convinced that, that when he presented an alternative, it was just ludicrous. It was absolutely ridiculous. I would never entertain that. So why in the world was she so convinced? Well, in verse 11 through 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming in and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So our friend, she understood that Jesus was a good shepherd. Now, the, the, the key word is good, right? Because there's lots of shepherds uh, in that day, and I mean like actual like shepherds who are tending sheep, actual sheep, right? And, but the good shepherd really distinguishes him from every type of shepherd, but one of the things, you know, back in those days when, when shepherds would tend sheep, they had, they had intentions with those sheep, right? In some cases, they, they wanted to, you know, 
raise them so that they could sell their wool or, or sell milk or even so they could become dinner for somebody or, or possibly for religious reasons, raise up sheep that they could sell that could become sacrifices to God. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not tending these sheep so that they can become a sacrifice. I am tending these sheep and I'm the one that lays my life down for them. I become the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice for them. There's nothing like that, you guys. There is no shepherd that says, I'm going to tend these, these sheep to the point of my own life being laid down because he cares for them. And this, you guys, this is the perfect illustration of when, it, when we ever hear the phrase, love them to death. Like, this is, this is it. Like, Jesus loved his sheep to death. He was willing to lay his life down for these sheep. The hired hand, he's committed to a point, right? Like, I'll care for these sheep to a point. I'm getting a paycheck, right? And so, I mean, I need to get a paycheck, so I'll, I'll, do, I'll do what I can to take care of them. But then when it gets dangerous, he bolts. He says, wait a minute, like, there's wolves. <laughs> like, that's not good. I don't, want, I don't want to get chewed up. And he says, I don't want anything to do with that. And the money's not that good. And he says, further, these sheep are not worth that. I mean, chew them up. I don't want to get eaten up. You know, I don't want to put myself in danger. It's not worth it. And so he bolts. But that's not Jesus. Jesus has a totally different position because he loves his sheep. His affections for the sheep are so intense. They're so intense that he just volunteers to give himself in this way. There's no paycheck for it. It's just, I just love my sheep. And that's what I do for those that I love. But check this next part out. Verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus reiterates something that we talked about in verses 3 and 4. So in verse 3, remember the uh, Jesus or the, or the shepherd knows the names of these sheep. He knows the individual characteristics of the sheep. In verse 4, the sheep know his voice. They're so familiar with it. They're, they're like if it's any if there's any other voice, they just they just ignore it. They don't follow it. In fact, they they flee from it. It says. But the words to know in the original language in Greek is gnosko. All right? So when he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'm not a, I'm not a Greek guru, okay? But when I was younger in the faith, there was this uh, just really smart pastor in my life, and he really explained the fact that, that in, 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 in English we have all these versions of no, right? I know two plus two is four, so that's factual, right? I know data. But I know, gnosko, I know that after I've been working really hard and like sweating all day in a field, that to jump into a pool that's 73 degrees is pretty awesome, right? I know that because I experienced it. I don't know because because there's some calculation that informed me. I know because I had this experience. I gnosko it. 
okay? And so that's what, that's what Jesus is saying is, I gnosko my own, and my gnosko own, or my, and my own gnosko me, all right? I know them with experience. And so, what does this mean? This is, I know Jesus, and don't get me wrong, we need to know facts, okay? That's important, but that's just not what he's saying right here, all right? He's saying, like, they know me because they're with me. They know me because they experience my love. They know me because when everything's falling apart, and this doesn't make sense, they know that in the end, it ends up working out for good, right? They know me. They acknowledge that I'm wise because they've experienced it with me. When they're hurting, they know they have experienced me being able to comfort them. They have experienced me. They know me through experience. And, I, and he experiences us because we're calling on him, relating to him, pouring out our hearts before him, you know, interacting with his truth in our daily lives. Like he's, he's experiencing that with us. He's seeing how his impact on us affects our lives. But this next part, the next part really blew my mind in this verse. It says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Also gnosko. Uh, to be real honest, you guys, I can't explain that. Like, how, how, how in the world does me relating to Jesus parallel him relating to the Father? I can't explain it, but I know this. I know that Jesus never, ever, ever lies, okay? And so what he is definitely telling us, 1,000%, is that we can have an intense love relationship with Jesus. We can have a significant one, okay? Now, let's be honest. It probably doesn't always look like Jesus and the Father, but he is saying it can. So I would just encourage us, we ought to strive for that, right? We can have a relationship with God that is so meaningful that I can just say with so much confidence, I know him. So much so that every other lure, every other piece of bait means it just doesn't even faze me. Like he's just so good and glorious. And it's not Remember, he's talking at this point, even though we can obviously glean some things for us personally, he's talking about the sheep, of the, the Israelites who have embraced the shepherd, right? But it's not just for them, as is seen in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So we're the other sheep, you guys. That's why this applies to us. Because <laughs> we are the other sheep. We are not the house of Israel that has embraced the shepherd. We are, a, we are a different fold of sheep that acknowledges Jesus as the shepherd, right? And, and even just, you know, having Andrew and his family here today, they are a part of a different fold. But what God is saying is, but they're one flock under one shepherd, right? But it's not just us either. This is people all over the world, this is in Iraq and Cuba and Russia and Venezuela and everywhere, Japan and every country that is 
that, that, is, that is on the map has people that know Jesus. Now, not two plus two equals four knows Jesus, but knows him like I know this Jesus. And you guys, they are one flock. All of us are one flock, and we have one shepherd. That is absolutely glorious. So don't ever think, you know, it's our little circle, because it's not. We're one little sheep pen out of all the different sheep pens and all of the earth that sit under the lordship and love of this great and awesome good shepherd, okay? I want to leave you with just a, a, a few closing thoughts. So to see, remember, remember what Jesus said in chapter 9. He said, he said that, that those that, see, that, that are blind may see and those that see, quote-unquote, may become blind. To see genuinely is to embrace Jesus as the door and as the good shepherd. He's not just one of those. He's the door, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to the Father. And He is, he is the good shepherd. He's the one that will, that will care for us in all the ways that we need cared for. Now, our context is clearly different than what he was in when he was sharing this little mini-sermon, okay? Uh, because we may not, we don't actually like have Pharisees, you know what I mean, trying to fish us away. Now, we may have some other form of religious leader, right? That may be true, but I would suggest that it doesn't stop with religious leaders, you guys. Being lured away from Jesus, not trusting him entirely with, uh, for our good, that can come in a lot of different ways. That can come in a lot of different packages. Sometimes it might be just cultural pressure. You know, things that you're interacting with uh, in your workplace. You might, you might be sort of pressured to deviate from the goodness of Christ and deviate from the ways that he has, he has given us as his sheep to follow. It may come in news outlets, who are convincing us to think a certain way when in fact Jesus has made himself very clear. He has done much to make himself known to us. But just by exposing ourselves and giving voice to all these other outlets may actually be forming the way we think about you know, this issue or that issue or this person or that person and not actually thinking about those things the way that Jesus would have us think about them. Or Hollywood, experts, um, TikTok, <laughs> maybe a family member, maybe just your education. Like these, these types of things have ways of being voices in our lives that are strangers, that are not representative of the Good Shepherd. Okay? They're not representative of the door. So my the big question that we need to ask is, do we know the voice of the Good Shepherd? Are His words so familiar to us? Is His voice so familiar to us 
that when all these other voices are calling and informing and trying to get us to think in a certain way, like, is he the authority? Is he the one? Are his words the appropriate ones or the authorized? Or are we letting all these other voices come in that are not authorized? Are we letting all these other ways of thinking to inform us? Are, are these things that are, that are not necessarily from Christ, are they uh, causing us to think on a certain trajectory about given issues? Or is Jesus? The other question is, can we say, I know him. I gnosko him, right? I know him because I spend time with him and I talk with him and I frequently have his words on my mind and my heart. I'm interact like as I'm presented with different opportunities throughout the day, it's his words that are guiding how I'm going to interact with that opportunity, right? I know him. Now, you might say, I believe in Christ, but I struggle to answer that. At least answer yes to that with any sort of confidence, right? Well, I would suggest, this is just, just, you know, a suggestion from a concerned heart. I would suggest that you start making time to nurture that relationship with Jesus. There was this, uh, I went on this men's retreat a long time ago. There was this older gentleman who'd been walking with the Lord for a long time. Some of you have heard me say this story, but I'm telling it again. Um, He'd been walking with the Lord for a long time, and he was kind of put on a platform, given a mic, and say, hey, for all these guys, if you had one thing to say to them that would just impact their relationship with Christ, what would you say? And of course, this guy's been walking with the Lord for 50 years. I'm, gonna, I'm like all ears, right? He's going to say something so powerful, right? And he says, well, guys, if you read your Bible for 20 minutes a day, it'll change your life. And that's all he said. And I went, okay. Um, <laughs> but you know what? He's right, okay? I'm not saying it has to be limited to 20, 20 minutes a day, but you ought to make it at least 20 minutes a day. Get into the Word and read the words of the shepherd. Get to know your shepherd. You get, instead of you know, watching the news, turn that off and open up your Bible, right? Instead of listening to all these other voices, get to know your shepherd. Spend some time doing so. Set Facebook aside, right? And go for a walk. Go for a walk and say, God, in those 20 minutes that I was kind of reading your word, I was just really perplexed about this or amazed by this or I don't know how I feel about that. Relate. Converse with him, right? Or, or tell him, God, I have a lot of voices. They're just tugging at me really hard, God. I don't want to be that way. I want to listen to your voice. I want your voice to be the one that affects how I think and what I do, how I feel about things. But I need your help. Or, God, it's like time number six that I have blown it in this area of sin in my life today. Right? He, he wants that relationship with you. He wants that kind of intimacy with you. Not, hey, I blew it, and so now I'm going like, to not talk to you for a while. right? As if that fixes anything. He already knows, right? 
He already knows, and he still loves you, and he wants what's best for you, so run to him in those moments. If you wouldn't say that you know Christ, you may not know where to begin with this question, and so I would say this. I think through this passage, it's really obvious that Jesus is saying, you were created to know me, right? And you were created to be known by me. That's what you were made for. Now, there's a problem with that. It's beautiful and all that. The problem is, is God is holy and he is perfect. And what that means is he is perfect and he's set apart and there's nothing, nobody like him, okay? And that means he is pure and righteous and he doesn't have fault. and He doesn't have all this junk in his life like we do. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you're not like that, right? I'm not like that. I've got all kinds of junk. I've got all kinds of baggage. I've got all kinds of failures and things that offend a holy God that a holy God can, has to say, I can't have fellowship with you because I cannot defile myself, right? But remember the good shepherd? So the good shepherd said, I laid down my life for the sheep. His whole point, everything he means by that is, I take the punishment, I pay the price so that that relationship that we're talking about can be restored. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as this defiled person. He sees you as somebody who has been made righteous. And he is glad to know you. He is glad to have fellowship with you. And if you put your trust in him and you worship him like that blind man that we talked about earlier, remember that blind man acknowledged Jesus and he worshiped him. If you get to that point in your life, this passage that we just studied says that you will be saved and find pasture. And that is with many people in this flock all around the whole world, right? All around the world. We're going to transition to a time of communion. We're going to do this by looking at the final two verses and how Jesus wraps up his little mini-sermon. He says this, verse 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So the Father loves the Son. With Jesus' willingness to lay down his life for these sheep, I mean, why wouldn't he, right? <laughs> like, he's worthy of that. And as we remember what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, as we get these elements, as we take the bread and take the cup and remember this, it's really important, and it's super emphasized in this verse, that we acknowledge and understand Jesus did this completely voluntarily. He was not coerced. He was not put in a corner. It was totally out of love for us. 100%. Totally out of good for us. And because he and the Father loved us so much, he didn't even hesitate. He's like, I, I will do this absolutely no questions. And, and one of the reasons why is because he says, look, I have authority 
to lay my life down. He also has authority to raise it up again. Any one of you may be like super noble and say, hey, I'll die for you. But you have no ability to raise yourself back up. That's reserved for the good shepherd. Only the good shepherd can say, I'm going to die for you, but then I'm going to rise for you also, right? That only happens through Jesus. So as we remember what he has done for us, it's an opportunity to remember the extent of his love. And for those of you that don't yet know him, you're going to see people getting up and getting the elements, getting the bread, getting the cup, and going back to their seat. I just encourage you, rather than participating in that, because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you don't know Christ, rather than participating in that, I would just ask, maybe you take this time to just sit and think. What would it be like to follow Christ? What would it be like for me? Ask yourself the question, are these voices that I follow, are they worthy? I mean, does that really make sense in light of who God is? Many in this room, as, long as, as well as that friend that I mentioned that served with us overseas, they would say, it is marvelous to know Jesus. It is wonderful. And so my appeal to you would be, please consider that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. You are a good, good shepherd, Lord. We bless you. We bless you. We are, we are weak sheep, Lord. And without a good shepherd, we would just be devoured by the wolves, Lord. But we thank you that you protect us. You prove to us time and time and again that you are good. You take us in and out. You bring us into safe places. You take us out of safe places. But you nurture us. And no matter what you take us through, Lord, no matter what, what path we have to travel on, Lord, if we're with you, then it's all good. It will be good because you are our good and awesome shepherd. We bless you, Jesus. We thank you. And I pray, I pray, I pray, Father, that every human being in this building would genuinely long to relate to you in the ways that you and the Father know one another. God, help us. Help us advance in our intimacy with you. Help us, Lord, to put off the voices that are distracting us and keeping us from nurturing that intense relationship that we could have with such a glorious, glorious king. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.